We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What's going on, guys? My name is Alex Duvall. This is the Royals Farm Report podcast. I am joined, as always, tonight by Josh Kaiser. We're going to hit our quick ad break really quick for, here for a word from our sponsor, Kansas City Strength and Conditioning, and then we'll be right back with Jake Eisenberg, the voice of the Omaha Storm Chasers. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go, and the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound. It actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. All right, big thanks to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning for sponsoring the show this year. Like I said, my name's Alex. I'm joined, as always, by Josh Kaiser. Joshua, it is peak football season. We've had a couple weeks off. Have you? Do you remember baseball? Remember we play with three outs, three strikes, four balls, th- four bases, nine fielders, nine batsmen? That sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't quite place it. So I can't exactly like say yes to the question, but we do have postseason baseball still going on. Uh, NLCS just starting tonight. We got those uh, small market teams just all over the place. The Final Four just super small Cinderella type teams going on this year. So uh, it's always good to see uh, you know the the ones that don't usually uh, make it make it every year. Yeah, the the small markets of of, of yeah. Anyway, it's like the second, third, sixth, and seventh highest payrolls in the majors is, or the yes. final four. So love I don't know if that's a re- causation or correlation, but who knows? Who knows? Who's and to say? Because the Dodgers did not advance the NLCS, the entire system is broken. So whatever we need to do to make sure <laughs> yeah. the Dodgers and the Braves and the NLCS again next year, that would be the appropriate format for the playoffs. Too many teams, too much randomness. The regular season doesn't matter anymore. For the first half of tonight's show, we are joined by the voice of the Omaha Storm Chasers, Jake Eisenberg. Jake, you were one busy dude this last summer. You 
tell everybody about how how your gig. I mean, because everybody knows you as well, in Kansas City, we know you as the voice of the Storm Chasers. But w- you all of a sudden were doing Mets games like periodically throughout the year, and then I had people messaging me like, "Hey, I'm Jake for the week. Can you help me out with who these guys are?" I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, let me get you some like game notes for for what's going on." Um, but man, I was, I watched a Mets game or listened to a Mets game in some capacity and there's Jake calling a Mets game. You did a Royals game. You were, you did the Royals game, uh, for Bobby Wood Jr.'s first home run. Just walk us through what your summer was like. <laughs> uh, yeah, summer was pretty crazy. I mean, first off, thanks for having me guys. It's great to, great to chat with you. Great to break down the storm chaser season and wherever else we go. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty, pretty crazy year. You know, the, the opportunity with the Mets to fill in on their radio broadcast team periodically came up pretty close to the start of the minor league season. So, you know, it was great to have the flexibility to be able to jump back and forth when those opportunities came about. So effectively, you know, I filled in on the Mets radio broadcast team for a lot of their West Coast games, mostly. Uh, Howie Rose, the longtime radio voice, uh, for the Mets decided to pull back his schedule a little bit. And that kind of opened the door for somebody to be a more consistent fill-in as opposed to them finding, you know, somebody here and somebody there. And, and thankfully, uh, the Storm Chasers organization here in Omaha was, was you know, flexible in letting me do that. And also, you know, filling the the hole that was left here whenever I went off and, and did that. So, so thanks to both of you for helping keep those guys informed that, you know, that were kind enough to fill in for me. And they did, they did a fantastic job. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a pretty whirlwind season uh, because, you know, I could be in one of, I guess, you know, 40 different places <laughs> any given week between the International League and, and, you know, Major League Baseball. And it was a schedule that was a little bit fluid that at times changed unexpectedly, depending on various circumstances here or there. So it was a lot of travel, uh, a lot of frequent flyer miles. That's, I guess, a silver lining. Um, and now it's been a, it's been a pretty relaxing off season for the last couple of weeks, just enjoying, you know, postseason baseball, obviously, you know, bummed that the Mets got bounced, uh, pretty early, but it was still a fun season with them too, nonetheless. Well, that brings up something I wanted to ask you about is one thing I don't think I know about you is where did you grow up? Who, who did you grow up rooting for? Not just on the baseball side, but on the football side, because there's something else I want to ask you about on the football side. <laughs> so that was kind of the extra special part about this past season. I grew up in Port Washington, New York. I grew up 20 minutes from Shea Stadium. I used to go to Shea Stadium as a kid. Uh, obviously, then City Field when it opened in 2009. I grew up listening to Howie Rose. And so to have the chance to call Major League Baseball games for the first time uh, and have that be with my childhood team and with one of my broadcasting idols was, you know, the dream beyond the dream. It was the, it was the, yeah, it, it, it's kind of for somebody who speaks words for a living, uh, it's hard to come up with the words to describe how meaningful the experience with the Mets uh, was for me. And, and like you mentioned, Alex, you know, there was a chance to do a couple of games with the Royals too. And that was also incredibly special. Like, no, that's not the team that, I grew up rooting for, but it's an organization that I've now been around for the last two and a half, three years. And it's a lot of people that I've come to know very well and love and root for. And so to be there for not only Bobby Wood Jr.'s first big league homer, but also MJ Melendez's major league debut. uh, It was, it was, it was incredible, you know, to sit with Mike Sweeney and call games with him. We had so, so much fun. And those couple of games of the K, uh, they were, they were a big highlight for me, you know, from this entire season. So really it was, it was a lot of highs throughout the entire summer from, from April through September. That, that Royals game with Sween Dog 
it was appointment television for us because we we are kind of used to hearing you talk and Nicholas Batters and Kosas and, and uh, uh, Nick there in Quad Cities, but just getting to hear you call that game and just hearing the joy in your voice, but also Sweeney. Sweeney was having a damn good time too. So it was just a cool thing to to hear you guys on the big stage and talking about our guys. We we I I for one listened to a couple of Mets broadcasts just to hear you on there too. So uh yeah, it was just really, really cool to uh to to get to experience that with you. And it just it just sounded like you guys were just pumped to be there. So that was not that Ryan and Hutt, Uncle Hud are not that way, but it's just a different different vibe from you guys, I guess. Well, well, thank you. That that means a lot. We really did have a good time. And I'll peel back the curtain a little bit. You know, you know, Sweeney and I met each other for the first time like four or five hours before first pitch uh, on that yeah. Tuesday. And I think it's it's a huge testament to the kind of person that he is. That I I, I think that if you were tuning in, you never would have known that we had met each other five hours before first pitch. You figured that we'd have known each other for five years. And that's him being as welcoming as he is. I mean, he's Mike Sweeney. You know, yeah. he doesn't necessarily need to be as welcoming as he was, but that's the kind of person he is. And he does have that reputation, too. And all of it is true. I mean, he's he's the mayor of that place. And he was showing me around and introducing me to everybody and really welcomed me with open arms as the rest of the organization did for those couple of days. And it was also, you know, great to see Bobby and MJ and everyone that had come through Omaha over the last couple of seasons. And you know, I was back down at Kauffman Stadium in August and got to see, you know, a bunch of the other guys that had been in Omaha, you yeah. know, make their debuts or, or play in a big league game for the first time. I mean, the day that I was there in August happened to coincidentally be Drew Waters' major league debut. So it's been pretty special over the last couple of years to see these guys make their way through Warner Park down to Kauffman Stadium. And, and you know, this year, in large part, shine. It's been a lot of fun. Let's talk about those young hitters because you got to see last season specifically – one of the best young offensive cores the Royals really have ever had at AAA all at once. I mean, you're talking about a dynamic group of young prospects who came up and held their own in the big leagues as rookies. Bobby Witt Jr. kind of went 30 for 30 down there, right? I mean, he he stole his 30th More, base. He did it. Look, I was, I was there. I was there. I saw it happen. Uh, he did. You know, I mean, the game just didn't count towards the record so he did steal it, it just right. the, they didn't finish the game so it's even more impressive kind of as he stole yeah. it in, in a, a game less than he's supposed to have i think um, it makes for a better story personally it, there you go M mj melendez nick prado are one and three in all of minor league baseball last year in home runs bobby Wood jr's right there behind them like four or five right so just one of the best young groups ever to go through omaha then to watch them transition to the big leagues this year, what about their chemistry and about their ability in Omaha did you see carry over to the big leagues where you're like, man, that's exactly what we knew we were going to get from them, and they didn't miss a step going to the big leagues? You know, I think that's a really interesting point. I think a lot of the things that are talked about with, you know, the position player core is how young they are, but also – how they've played together over the last couple of years, how familiar they are with each other. And I don't think it can be overstated how important it is to have that chemistry, but also have that comfort when you reach, you know, double A or triple A. And of course, when you reach the big leagues to know that the guys a locker over from you and a locker to the left and the right, you've been with over the last couple of years that you know really, really well that you can go out there and be yourself. If I'm not mistaken, this is something that Michael Massey mentioned over the course of the season, how being in that clubhouse was so comfortable because all of those guys were so familiar with each other and knew 
you know, the grind that they had gone through over the last few years, being at the alt site in 2020. For some of these guys, that was right after they were drafted for, for Bobby, Vinny, and for Michael. They were drafted in 2019. They were at the alt site together all in 2020. And then for Nick and MJ, who have, or yeah, Nick and MJ, who had been in the organization since 2017, but were both high school draft picks, they were approaching that kind of similar age as those college guys like Michael and Vinny. And so everyone just meshes together so well. And when you can come up into a big league situation and feel relaxed and comfortable enough to be yourself and not worry so much about the personal side or clubhouse politics that may or may not exist in some areas with veterans here or guys that were with different organizations there. I think that was a really unique and special thing about the Royals this year is that not only is it such a homegrown team, so everybody is a part of that Royals culture, but it's also a team that has grown up together. And I think that chemistry shows up on the field and you see the way that they play, you see the enjoyment that they have together in the dugout. And I think they really feed off each other. And I think that's something absolutely that carried not just from Omaha to the big leagues, but from quad cities and from Northwest Arkansas and to Omaha, and then ultimately down to the K. Vinny Pasquantino. Yeah, oh, go ahead, Josh. I, I was just going to kind of – so you, you saw this young core of offensive players in the lineup every day this last year. The year before that was just a solid group of the pitching core that was in Omaha, and you kind of see both of those you know groups, those cores graduated in the last two years. A out of that those two groups – who was the one player, and maybe this is an easy one with Bobby, but who was the one guy where it just repeatedly and more often was just like, holy crap, this dude has it. Whatever it <laughs> is, who who was the one that just kept you like in awe the most? I mean, yeah, the easy answer is Bobby Witt Jr. I remember his second ever AAA game, I think in the span of the first three innings, maybe the first four innings. I'll never forget this. He hits a soft ground ball to the right side and beats it out for an infield hit. Then the next half inning, he makes a diving play up the middle at shortstop, an otherworldly play. Half inning after that, the dude hits an inside-the-park home run, a legit <laughs> inside-the-park home run for his first career AAA homer. And this was all in a, you know, about three innings, four innings, but about like a 45-minute span in his second career AAA game. But it was like that night after night with him. Every single day, there was something that he did that would bulge your eyes out of their sockets and make you go, wow. And it all kind of culminated. You guys might remember there was this diving catch that Bobby made in one of the final games of the season where he ranged back from shortstop toward the left field line, dove back toward the corner, and made this insane catch on this little flare pop-up. But it was stuff like that night after night after night. And that's not to say that he was the only one doing things that were otherworldly night after night. But when you talk to other broadcasters around the league, other people around the league, they were very quick to point out like, whoa, this guy is legit. Everything that we've heard about him is true. And then some. I hope I don't misquote you on that play specifically. And I'm, I probably will, but whatever you said during that play, when he made that catch, it reminded me so much of Ryan Lefevre. I don't remember if because so Bobby's running back. That's high. That's high praise. Yeah. That's high praise. That's high praise. Ryan Lefevre is awesome. I, so Bobby's running toward the line. He makes a catch, and it just—if I remember correctly—it's like Jake. I think you said no way, and then <laughs> we're just totally silent as Bobby as the, the whole team runs off the field. And, and, and for a Triple A crowd, I mean, they were really letting them have it. Just. Uh, a whole standing ovation from the entire stadium. And I thought, man, that it just, it reminded me of a Lefevre call, just like letting out a very, a very, uh, an expression that very clearly demonstrates how incredible the play was. And then backing off to just let the moment be. 
it was incredible. And, and and your call of that play, I will never forget the play, partially because of the call and of the of the ovation that Bobby got coming off the field. In in the same way that Bobby does things all over the field that just make you make you blush almost watching him play, Vinny Pasquantino is pretty clearly the best offensive player in this group. And it's kind of been that way since he joined the organization. It's it's almost like he possesses traits natural to him that other people don't have access to. How how quickly did you identify that Vinny was going to be really, really special? Because he, it's not like he came to AAA and immediately just started bopping home runs. It took him a few weeks to get going. And then once he got going, it was over. It was over for anybody that wanted to pitch to Vinny Pasquantino. But how quickly did you could you tell he was going to be special? I mean, the answer is immediately, and that's not an exaggeration. Now, I'll, I'll dive in on Vinny in a second, but just to give you a little bit more on that that Bobby Wood Jr. catch, what made it so incredible, especially the crowd reaction, is you may not remember, that play was on the road. That was a road crowd. It wasn't in Omaha. It was in Iowa. It was in Des Moines, and everybody was going nuts. And, yes, it helps that Bobby is a top prospect, and Des Moines is pretty close. So there's a you know a decent amount of Storm Chasers fans or Royals fans that are in that area to begin with. But still, everyone's jaws dropped. And yeah, it was among the more unhinged emotionally that I think I got on the air last season. Because again, it's just one of those things that leaves you speechless. But in the position that you're in having to broadcast the game on the radio, you can't be speechless because, well, you need to tell people what's going on. Uh, so you got to find something. And sometimes it's just a little bit of screaming and yelling and, whoa, I mean, that was incredible sort of thing. So yeah, that was that was a play that'll stick for for a long, long time. But as far My as hats off goes, to you, just not be, not swearing in the middle of it because I'd be like, <laughs> no friggin' way. That's, that's what the I, mute, I would... that's what the mute button is for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as as far as Vinny goes, you know, you could tell immediately, and I want to be clear that it wasn't immediate on the field because he did have you know a bit of a slow start at the AAA level but it was immediate off the field the kind of person that he is the kind of leader that he is the charisma that just oozes off of his body the way he carries himself the way he treats his teammates the way his teammates treat him that was immediate from the first workout that we had at Warner Park last season and again he had a reputation coming up from Quad Cities and from Northwest Arkansas as an immediate fan favorite somebody that had, you know, talked to the media very, very well. Someone that had, you know, been a favorite in the clubhouse, both from coaches and teammates and instructors. So he had a reputation coming up to Warner Park as being, you know, a, a great person in addition to being an incredible ball player. And that was pretty clear that that was going to be the case um, from the first time we met. And, you know, it was, it was a blast having Vinny around for, you know, the short time that he was in Omaha. And I think the impact that he has, you know, off the field is almost as big as the impact that he's had on the field, the presence that he has inside that clubhouse and the relationships that he has with those guys that he's grown especially close with over the last you know few years since he was drafted in 19. I got to ask, are you a Jets fan like Vinny or are you a Giants fan? <laughs> uh, so this is where I might get in a little bit of trouble with Vinny oh. because I'm not, I'm not a Jets fan. Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know that I could really claim to be a Giants fan either. Uh, if I do have to pick a New York team, it is the Giants. Uh, there's a lot of members of my family that are Giants fans. But, you know, look, I'll be honest. When I was growing up, the Giants won two Super Bowls. But those were not seminal moments in my life. It's not like I skipped school to go to the parade. Uh, I've been to one Giants game in my entire life. 
Um, so yeah, I'm a football fan, but I can't really say that I'm a Giants fan. Uh, look, I'll be honest, living in Omaha, I, I know it, you know, is a little bit of a bandwagon thing to say, but I feel like I've kind of hopped on the Chiefs bandwagon a little bit, and I hope there's room because it's been a lot of fun to watch Patrick Mahomes and everybody else, and I was down to the game at, at Arrowhead last year, uh, and that was a blast. So yeah, I'm a football fan. I don't know that I have a specific team, but um, yeah, it's just fun to watch. It's almost, it's almost a good thing that you don't have an allegiance because you can't ever be hurt. You're just always entertained. <laughs> Yeah, Never something heard. like that. Something like that. <laughs> well, going back to, I mean, another guy that uh, has a reputation of being a really good dude, had a really good season at the plate and a really, really good defender as well. Uh, player of the year, batter of the year, I should say, Brewer Hicklin, coming off a monster season, 850 OPS, uh, really solid walk rate, uh, big power, speed. He's my, I've always described him as the guy that you always create a player when you get on like baseball games, like, Speed, 99. Power, 99. We'll deal with the rest of it later. He seems like that dude, and his his numbers this year absolutely reflected that type of uh, play style. Got called up for a little bit of reserve action with the Royals this year, but mostly his whole time was spent in Omaha. Whiff rate was a little bit high, but what was it like seeing him kind of go through, you know, have such a successful season, but still kind of, you know, still kind of getting held back by that swing and miss a little bit more than, than you probably, he probably liked and he would probably admit to it as well. But what was it just like seeing that season from him and, and him kind of uh, reacting to, to it? Sure. I mean, I think Brewer would be the first one to tell you that the strikeout rate was a lot higher than he wanted it to be. And that strikeout raw total was a lot higher than where he wanted it to be. But across the board, everywhere else, he was one of the best offensive players in minor league baseball. And I'll be honest mm -hmm. with you guys, it was pretty shocking to me that he didn't get more national attention for the kind of yeah. season that he had. And I know that, you know, Brewer doesn't necessarily have the top 100 prospect name or billing. And so when these lists get put together more often than not, it's guys that are already on that top 100 prospects list or, you know, considered to be top 100 prospects by whatever outlets you look at. And so sometimes somebody like Brewer, who's not among those lists to begin with, can get overlooked. But the truth is, I don't really know how you overlook a guy who felt two home runs shy of putting up what would have been just the third 30-30-30 season in minor league baseball since 1990. I mean, these are ridiculous numbers yeah, that he put crazy. up. He had more. He had, he had 30 doubles. He had 28 home runs. He had 35 steals. And, yes, those are raw counting stats and somewhat of a product of playing the entire season at one level. But guess yeah. what? That level was the AAA level. And short of playing in major league baseball – there's no higher level of minor league baseball than AAA. And Brewer was there night in and night out. He led the team in games played. He led the team in pretty much every other offensive category, too. He was a leader off the field and in the clubhouse. Uh, he was a great guy to be around, carried himself well, worked hard every single day, and was just a fun presence also to be around. You know, he's incredibly thoughtful and open about his processes and about his struggles. You know, you, you might have read – you know, some stuff about him and the struggles that he had, you know, during the last season for the last couple of years, there have been some really good pieces um, written about him. If I'm not mistaken. One of them came from, from you guys um, going back last year. So, you know, I think we've gotten to know Brewer as a person just as much as we've gotten to know Brewer as a player. And I think he deserves far more recognition for the season that he had this year than he got. And it was great to see him get that recognition from the Kansas city Royals too, as the Omaha hitter of the year that was well-deserved. One thing that I think is, overlooked with Brewer Hicklin <clears throat> it's easy to be a, a a great person that that Mike Sweeney type of leader 
when things are going well. And Brewer Hicklin won at every single level, won a championship on his way to Omaha. To hear that he has continued to be the exact same person on a team that I think we would all probably say underachieved a little bit this year speaks to the man and that he is able to carry that attitude, that persona through struggles, not just his own struggles, but the team's struggles. So I think Royals fans, even if Brewer Hicklin is never an all-star at the big league level, I do think at some point he's going to have his his cup of tea and his ability to, to contribute because of that, if nothing else, because of the person he is in the clubhouse, in the dugout. I know he's beloved by players, coaches, the front office, the the media staff, right? So uh, Brewer Hicklin, one of my favorite people in the organization. And speaking of those struggles, Jake, I think the pitching staff, if we, did, if we didn't talk about it a little bit here, would be um, doing the, the listeners a disservice. How interesting is it for you? And I know you mentioned Brewer Hicklin not getting the national attention. So – your perception and your the way that you watch the team every single day in Omaha. There are pitchers who who have success and they look great. They go to the big league level, they struggle, they come back, they 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 work on things, they go forward. One thing that I have always found fascinating with minor league baseball, and I deal with it a little bit at the high school level, is here's the goal, and the goal is winning. But your personal goal is to do what it takes to move on to the next level. And sometimes that requires you to take a step back, which can hurt the team. And if you hurt the team, then it gets you down and second-guessing the, the, the progress you're making. And it is, it is such a fine line, so hard to balance between making adjustments for personal growth and trying to help your team win. That was a long-winded way of asking. When watching the pitching this year what were your perceptions and how did you perceive their struggles a at the triple a level b at the big league level because these kids are clearly very talented well the thing that's there is the talent is there i mean the stuff is there but the other thing that's there is the massive gap between triple a talent and big league talent it's like going from earth to neptune where, you know, going from single A to double A to triple A is like going from, you know, Earth to Mars to Jupiter, you know, for instance, want to get, you know, galactic with all of it. But, you know, I think <laughs> that there's, a, that, you know, when you look at some of the, the pitching this year, uh, there was a lot of movement between the Omaha Storm Chasers and the Kansas City Royals. And frankly, it wasn't just pitching. It was the position players, too. I mean, a lot of the Storm Chasers position players wound up in the Royals lineup for the better part of the second half. Season. So when you look at the Chasers overall record from this year, yeah, 71 and 78 is seven games below 500. But given the fact that most of the team wound up in the big leagues and remember, that is the goal of all of this. I think that the season was a pretty big success from a developmental standpoint. As far as the pitching concerned, yeah, there's some inconsistency there. We saw that at the big level. We saw that at the triple level, too. And some of that is working through various kinks. Some of that is developing different pitches. Some of that is developing confidence in those pitches. And, you know, when you have that confidence, you can throw different pitches for strikes or you feel more sure about not having to nibble in a certain situation. Because sometimes when you... You miss and, you know, depending on who the umpire is and what the strike zone is going to be, uh, some of those nibbles can turn into way more balls than they are strikes. But as far as the pitching concern for the Storm Chasers, I think there were some tremendous bright spots this year, too, 
even amidst some of the inconsistent spots. I mean, Jose Quas was dynamite for the first month of the season and now has become a pretty sizable piece of the Royals' bullpen for you know the foreseeable future. We saw Andres Nunez have, I think, a breakout season at the AAA level, and it would not be shocking to see Andres get a shot at the big league bullpen you know, in spring training. Uh, I think one of the arms that probably wasn't talked about nearly enough is Andres Sotiet, who had the best ERA of any reliever who threw at least 60 innings, not just in AAA, in all of minor league baseball. He had the best ERA of any reliever who threw at least 60 innings and made zero starts. He had an incredible season. And, you know, he's another guy who's got a nasty sinker slider mix like Andres Nunez, like Jose Quas, who comes from that sidearm slot. So these are some nasty bullpen pieces, potentially at the back end of the bullpen, too, that I think took pretty significant developmental steps forward this year. And so now the next step is, okay, develop the, the starting pitching as well. And I think what we saw in September from Austin Cox was as big of a pop step as any. He had a 290 ERA in September after kind of an up and down, you know, month to month throughout the season. But again, I think it's important to keep in mind that it was his first season at the AAA level. And so when we look at a lot of these young pitchers and we make judgments about their performance, I think it's important to have the perspective of, you know, how much has this guy really at the AAA level? How much has he really pitched at the big league level? When you look at a lot of the young starters, there's still a level of inexperience there that doesn't necessarily exist with other rookie starters that you see finding, you know, tremendous success at the big league level. They sure there are going to be some guys that come up and dominate right away. It's important to remember that those are outliers. Those are not arm, even though it may seem that way or they're portrayed that way. But I think that there were some really solid steps taken forward here, even if they didn't really show themselves at the big league level. Jake, we really appreciate your time. Um, I, I I think when I think back about this Omaha season, the the one thing that I'll remember the most is the influx of players in the movement of players from Double A AA to Triple A to the big leagues and back and forth, and, and how many different players put on an Omaha Storm Chasers jersey this year. It just seemed like the revolving door of players came and went. But the team's identity never really fluctuated or changed. It was very clearly a Royals brand of baseball being played by good people, first and foremost. And I think that speaks to the to the organization that the you know the the AAA team, like you said, the highest level of minor league baseball, right before the big leagues, can have such a high influx of players throughout a season, and yet you don't really tell by watching them play. Um, I think it speaks highly to the people in the clubhouse, the people over there in the in the Storm Chasers front office, certainly the Royals front office. Um, but it's been a pleasure, man. Really, really enjoyed uh, getting to listen to you call games this last season, getting to watch the broadcast. The Omaha Storm Chasers have one of the best minor league TV broadcasts in all of minor league baseball. Absolutely phenomenal. So, um, Jake, we appreciate your time tonight. Appreciate some insight on some of these guys that come in and, and make an impact. I, I think one the coolest moment of the big league season by far was in Toronto, right? They bring up all these guys from Omaha, and they're the biggest underdogs of the big league season, and they go out and they beat the Toronto Blue Jays on their home turf. Absolutely phenomenal. What a, It was such a cool experience. But it's made, it's made fun by you and by the people who bring minor league baseball to the fans. So appreciate your time tonight, but appreciate all you do for, for minor league baseball uh, throughout the season as well. 
Well, let me let me reciprocate that because the, the coverage that you guys provide for you know the Royals minor leaguers is something that I refer to all the time. I mean, some of the numbers that you guys dig up, some of the stories that you guys put together, it's incredibly informative, especially about you know honestly some of the lower guys that may not be as firmly on my radar as they are on yours or somebody else. So thank you for all that you guys do. Thank you for having me tonight. Uh, appreciate your, your kind words about our broadcast. I mean, that's also a testament to the work that Lexi Gross has done in coordinating the video broadcast and Alex Cedar has done with, you know, I'm, what I think is one of the better scoreboard across MIBT among other things that, that Alex does so, so well and everybody that's in that production room. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of players for the Storm Chasers this year. There were 80 different players for the 2022 Omaha Storm Chasers. This is a team that stole 188 bases, which was second in the league. They had the highest stolen base success rate in the league. That's, you know, been a royal mark over the years as well. But, you know, Michael Mass is a great example of a guy who started the year at double A and is now entrenched as a main contributor at the big league level. And no doubt that there are going to be other players like him, you know, over the course of the next couple of years. You know, as far as moments goes, uh, I'll, I'll be honest that the biggest moment that I'll remember from this season by far is Jimmy Burns walk off Grand Slam back in May <laughs> and seeing him seeing him round the bases, spike his helmet between his legs. Incredible incredible image from from Mindahas Kuhlman, the team photographer, capturing that moment and also seeing him embrace with, with Vinny Pasquintino right after that. Those mm-hmm. two are are incredibly close and uh, have a great, you know, friendship and relationship. And that's the kind of camaraderie you see with the Kansas City Royals up and down the organization. And that extends into front offices and coaches and roving instructors as well. And, you know, I think the fact that the Storm Chasers this year stayed so even keel throughout the roster fluctuations of the core season is as much a testament to the coaching staff and the player development staff as it is to the players. So, you know, I think a, a special shout out is warranted for Scott Thorman, who was managing his first season at the AAA level. And as he'd tell you, managing a AAA is way different than managing at every other level, because whatever happens at the big league level is directing you day in and day out and moves are happening here, there and everywhere. Uh, sometimes unexpectedly. So he did an exceptional job, you know, steering this ship along with Dane Johnson and Brian Buchanan and Ryan Powers and, and the rest of the coaching staff that's in place in Omaha, Tommy Shields as well, who is just a shining light in the dugout every single day. So yeah, some really great people uh, here at Warner Park, some great people in the Royals organization. And uh, I'm grateful to be, to be a small part of sharing their stories throughout the year. So thanks for tuning in guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we can chat soon again. Absolutely. Thanks again, Jake. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are now joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Uh, I got that right that time. I made a point to not call it 
into the fountains. It is inside the crown. Yeah, is, come on. Is David Lesby's subset. So I actually <laughs> got it right this time. So I, I know I got it right. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Do you and Craig Brown secretly hate each other because you guys get mixed up with each other all the time? Uh, no. No, no, Craig. Craig's. Uh, I don't think it's a secret. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Craig, Craig and I. We wrote. We've written together for. Yeah. A long time. It was. Uh, yeah. What 2016 when BP Kansas City started? So sounds right. It's a long time That's ago. A yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's. It was. It was. I think it's been down as long as it was up now. So. <laughs> so we we we've reached that point. Yep. Happy anniversary, everyone. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> All right, David. First question I think on everybody's minds is the fact that the Royals do not have a manager. They are a ship without a captain. I'll do and, it. And even though <laughs> a ground ball, if a ground ball is hit the first base, somebody will pick it up. They do not have a manager. That is a, a money ball reference for anybody listening that didn't get that one. Um <laughs> We'll get to names in a second because I do think there are some interesting names out there. But really quick, I think J.J. Piccolo has mentioned several times now in interviews that they he he said it out loud. He doesn't believe that a managerial decisions affect the game too much. Like game by game, he doesn't think the manager has that big of an impact. It sounds to me like he wants more of a Ned Yost in the dugout. Keep mm-hmm. the guys happy. Keep them healthy. Keep them rested and stay out of the front office's way making the decisions about bullpen usage and things of that nature. That's what it comes off to me. Are you getting the same vibe? And then do you agree with that? Because I personally kind of like a Gabe Kapler where it's something in the, in between something in he's a, he's a, he's a man's man, but he also is very deep into the analytics. He's into the decisions going on with the giants personnel. Where, where do you fall on the preference of the managerial style? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I agree with how you've taken it generally. I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you believe it's one hundred percent meaningless. That, that JJ thinks it's one hundred percent meaningless either. But I, I do think that he is looking for somebody to kind of be a middle manager, I guess, in a way. Um, you know, and, and and I think that there's a lot of truth to that in baseball in 2022, 2023, because a lot of the decisions are kind of made. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's, um, I forgot who it was on MLB network radio. I was listening today. Um, it definitely wasn't Jim Bowden. Um, it was <laughs> shocking. I know. No, um, I, I swear to God, <laughs> word number 17 on the bingo card was going to be Jim Bowden. That's not a joke. I, well, I almost took one of these. I will tell you later, which one I almost took out. But I almost took a word out to put Jim Bowden in. I'm not making that up. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we almost we we almost started things well. Um, mm-hmm. But somebody mentioned they said they they don't want the manager to follow a script. They want the manager to follow a plan. And when I heard that, I was like, that's actually really perfect because the front office should work in tandem with the manager to put a plan together, not a script, not a okay. Once you get past 92 pitches. When the next batter comes up, that then it goes to Scott Barlow. And after that, when he's thrown 16 pitches, it goes to Dylan Coleman, I, whatever. So I, I, I like the idea of a plan versus a script. Um, and I think that to your point, Gabe Kapler has a plan. And if something happens, he goes 
all generally with the idea of the plan, but not necessarily exactly that. And so that that's what I that's where I think the manager lies. I, I, I agree with what JJ has said in that it's about being a good communicator, about you know, being able to convey the message and and, and present it in a way that you know Salvador Perez understands in a way that Jose Quas understands. And you know, everybody is different in how they interpret things and how they understand things. And a good manager needs to know how to handle every one of his players. It's true outside of baseball. I mean, it a good manager in a company knows that this employee needs positive reinforcement, this employee needs negative reinforcement. I mean, I don't know that anybody needs negative, but whatever <laughs> that is, it, I don't know, maybe I do. I, but um, I think that's the biggest role of a manager in today's baseball. But I, I do think there needs to be some freedom to actually carry out that plan. Um, and I, and I, and I hope that the way that JJ has talked about it isn't exactly how he envisions it, because I, I think it's a little bit too rigid in, in those ways, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what, what, what they end up wanting to do. We'll see how it, how it works. But I, I think that, it certainly won't be a Mike Matheny type. I can say that for certain. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be kind of curious to see how it kind of plays out with the flexibility of the lineup in particular. There's so much flexibility. There are four or five guys that can play multiple positions, both infield and outfield. I'm going to be very curious to see how the next manager kind of handles that. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the system versus the plan uh, kind of outlook on it. So is that, I guess, is that going to be a uh, the all-knowing spreadsheet guy or is that going to be, well, the gut-feeling guy or is it somewhere in the in between? So I, I think that um, this is actually fun. Mike Matheny password protected that spreadsheet and didn't tell anybody what it was. So <laughs> that's, it's that's gone. Too bad. It's, it, it's just too gone. Bad. Um, no, I mean, I think that there's, I think the idea, what the Royals have is actually quite useful if done right being able to say, okay, we can put MJ Melendez and Nick Prado in left field or Nick Prado, not, not at the same time. That'd be a weird defensive alignment. <laughs> Although it doesn't break any shift rules because it's in yeah. the outfield, not the infield. Yep. Um, but I, I think that it, they have a lot of possibilities in what they can do. Um, they need somebody who understands the best way to do those possibilities. And, yeah. and so I think that there needs to be, Hey, look, we're going to play. I, I, this is probably not accurate because I think Melendez is going to play a lot of outfield if he's on the team, but it, it's, we're going to play MJ Melendez in left field. We're going to try to avoid it at home. And we're going to try to avoid it when Chris Bubich is on the mound, you know, a, a right-handed hitter who's going to hit a lot of fly, right, a lot of right-handed bats. We're going to hit a lot of fly balls to left field. We're going to try to avoid that. I that makes sense to me using using players in that particular way, and that's just using Melendez. And the thing about Melendez, not to jump jump ship here completely, we don't actually know if he can be a good outfielder, right? <laughs> I mean, he's never like had an opportunity. Right, he's never had a chance to work at it. Yeah. They played him at third base last year, and and then this year said, "Nope, never mind." Which I I don't I don't think it was that bad to mm -hmm. cut bait on that experiment, but whatever. Like, 
to, to say Melendez can't play left field or can't play right field, I think is really premature. It might mm-hmm. end up being true. I, I don't know. Um, but that's another story entirely. I just wanted to throw that out there for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's with the, with the flexibility the Royals have, whoever the new manager is in conjunction with JJ Piccolo and, and the front office, they, they have a lot of interesting work they can do. They just, I mean, it goes back to the need to get it right. Uh, that's what yep. needs to happen. They need to be right when they do it. Speaking of the manager, and, and then we'll get on to something else. Are, are there any names that you hear associated around the job that you're like, man, that that that's a guy I'd really like if they brought in. Like, that's a name that I would appreciate as the manager of the Royals and could, could extend a, an olive branch of, hey, this is moving the right direction. Yeah, I mean, the, the name that I keep hearing is Matt Quattraro. Um he is the guy who it sounds like they really like, and it makes sense. Um, you know, they, they poaching from the Rays, I think always makes sense given how successful they are. So that that's one. Um, he's also from Cleveland, which John Sherman loves. And, and I, I get, I understand why. I mean, they, yeah, they lost, but they were there. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. took a couple of steps farther than the Royals did. So um I think he makes a lot of sense. He's he's got kind of a, a traditional background with the scouting ability. Everybody says he's a great communicator. Everything that, that he checks all the boxes. Um, the question is, do they want somebody with more experience? I, I don't. He, I think he managed a little in the minors. I can't remember the exact um, the exact stints he had, but the the flip side of him that I, maybe not the flip side. Dusty Wathen is the other name who. Um, keeps coming up. There's your bingo. Um, part of the bingo, <laughs> but he, he's he's the name that keeps coming up a lot too. When I talk to people, it, it's funny. I started writing the manager list, um, like a month ago that I put out names, by the way. 22. 22 You're not going to yeah. find a more like in thorough Max put out 39, so he tried to beat me, but um, <laughs> it, it was after I did it, so come on. But oh, he stole your 22 that. and then found 17. Yeah, he just added 17. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it, I talked to a bunch of people, <laughs> and the first couple times I heard Dusty Woth, and I was like, no, I don't think so. Um, and then I keep hearing it, and I'm like, all right, fine. I'm going to look. And then I'm like, why did I ignore this completely for, for so long? Because I'm, I'm, I mean, I knew he'd managed in the minors. I didn't realize how successful he had been. I also didn't realize how much his players just, I mean, Loved isn't the right word. Adored maybe is the mm-hmm. right word. It seems like they were like all about Dusty Wathen. And hmm. and then I read something about how he uses analytics to make his decisions at third base as a third base coach. I, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, he, he's a really strong fit. Plus look, a, a Wathen retired. The organization can't be without a Wathen for very long. It's in the bylaws. So, mm-hmm. um, He's a name who makes a lot of sense. I think that that he could, he could be the guy. I, I don't know if he will be, but he could be. Mm-hmm. Let's get on to the pitching development, and we don't have to talk specifically about what was, but if you had to list like two to three priorities, like as it relates to pitching development, because this team's no no team's going anywhere as bad as they've been with developing their own pitchers. So if you had to give a few priorities just in the way that you want to see it done, how do they go about restructuring this, rebuilding this? Because it's clearly broken from top to bottom, really. Yeah, it is. Um, and and from, from things that I've heard, 
Um, get ready with your pen because I think I might say something. <laughs> they, I, I don't know if this is centered around one person or if this is a, hey, this is how we ideally like to do this. But it sounds like they might want to get like a director of pitching, a head of pitching, a manager of pitching, whatever you want to call it, that oversees the entire organization and a pitching coach. What I don't know, and you had the conversation with him on Twitter, but it sounds like there's mutual interest between the Royals and Brian Bannister. Um, it, I don't know if it'll get there. He's under contract. Uh, th- there's a lot of issues that, that come in with that. It may never, like I said, it, it may never get beyond this step or that step. Sounds like there's a possibility. Um, how good? I don't know. But so my question is, do they want Bannister to be that guy? Or would they say, hey, Tommy Hadovy, come on over. You're that guy. Or is it, I don't even know. It doesn't matter, the name. And then find a pitching coach to work at the big league level. And that, to me, makes the most sense. I, I have something that um, will probably be up tomorrow, um, which might right. be today, depending on when you're listening or watching. Where will it be up tomorrow, David? On Inside the Crown. Um, oh, yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good job. That was a uh, that was cheap. That uh, was a center block too. He, uh-huh. he was really leaning in there. Um, <laughs> but it, it the, the biggest thing, the thing that I, I keep coming back to, I was like, I gotta write something about the pitching. I gotta write something about the pitching. And I started to write about how they didn't get called strikes, which is interesting. But then I started realizing they are they don't get whiffs. They don't get swings mm-hmm. and misses. So then I, 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 I'm not going to get that deep into it because it was already too long by the time I started getting into the tunneling part of it. But <laughs> they don't tunnel well. They don't spin well. <laughs> they, they, everything that you need to do to get swings and misses, they don't do well. And so when you're looking at who they should hire, it's people who teach that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that is at its core. I'm not letting you tell you guys this, but that is at its core why Cal Eldred was the biggest problem. I think they have guys teaching this in the minors, good or bad. They're at least doing it. It's not being taught at the big league level and development doesn't end when you go from triple A to the majors. It keeps going for years. It, 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 it's, it's a, it's a long process. Nobody, no pitcher comes to the majors fully, fully cooked. It just doesn't happen because big league hitters are so good. Like it, yeah. you can't, you can't be ready. You can be good enough to succeed, but you cannot be fully developed. And and so they need people at the big league level to be able to teach spin rate, grips, tunneling, all this stuff, because it all goes together. It all works together. It all becomes the swing and miss that good teams need. And so then you start to look at some names. Um, Connor McGinnis with the Dodgers is the one who jumps out at me all the time. Um, Oh my God, what's his company? I can't think of the name of the company now off the top of my head, but he started, um, oh gosh, it's a website that basically teaches pitchers how to spin better. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, oh my God, if I, I, I have to, I have to do terrible podcast radio stuff and look it up because it's going to bug me. Um, but anyway, what he teaches is clean fuego is what it's called. Um, what he teaches is exactly what the Royals need to learn at the big, I mean, in the minors too. But I, I think that's the biggest thing is to get the pitchers to a point where they're not 
getting this three, third fewest whiffs in baseball. Um, you know, in in the article, I, I have this, but of the of the twelve playoff teams, eleven were top fifteen in swing and miss. The Cardinals were dead last, by the way. So yeah, that was that's very strange. There's a way around it, obviously, and it's to play in the National League Central. Um, but <laughs> it it if you want to make the playoffs, you're going to get swings and misses. It's well, pretty simple. Let me ask so, you this then, because I think early on it was a scouting thing for the Royals, and I really believe they did. They were horrible scouting pitching. Yeah, I oh, think yeah. now that they've gotten to a point where they may not be. Uh, they may not be scouting the right things. I think baseball has kind of moved past where the Royals are scouting, but I at least think they're better at identifying pitchers who are more likely to succeed than they used to be. I believe that there's talent in the system that a, if these guys had been brought into the Dodger system into the Rays system, that they would have been productive pitchers in more so than they are right now because it didn't used to be that way. It used to be the development was bad and scouting might've been worse. Now I think the scouting's caught up a little bit and the development's still bad. Do you agree? And do you think that there's talent in the organization that, Hey, it's not going to happen in 2023, but if you get the right development staff in place, you at least have the pitching in house to be competitive in a couple of years. Yeah. I don't know if they have enough. Um, my, my question is, are, are some of the guys too far gone? Um, you know, Jackson Coar, watch, watch the guy pitch on any given day. You can look at him and think that guy's a future Cy Young winner. And on any given day, you can watch him pitch and think that guy should be washing my car. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's there, there's like no in between with him. Um, yeah. it's, it's crazy, but I mean, I, I don't know how you can watch Daniel Lynch pitch and not think that guy could be an ace. It's there. There's literally no reason why the six foot six lefty that can sit ninety five with the slider and changeup that he has, why he can't be a number one starter, Cy Young candidate every single year. There's no reason. There are a lot of guys like that, obviously. I mean, and not just in the Royals organization that don't ever become anything. It's it happens, but there's no reason why he can't be. And. <laughs> I mean, even Chris Bubich, like people really rail on him. And I think he gets a lot of, I don't think it's completely fair. Um, He is not a number one or a two (laughs) or probably a three, but there's a lot of value. You need, you need five starters. (laughs) Like you can't, your rotation doesn't end after the number three. And so there's, there's no insult to say a guy is a number four starter. And I don't see any reason why watching Chris Bubich with his changeup and his ability to, if he could sit 94 instead of 91, if he could throw a slider like he was going to throw, I don't know why he, I still don't know why he gave that up. Yeah, I, it I, makes I, zero I, sense. I need to know more about that. Yeah. Is it an organizational thing? Do you guys know? Have you heard anything? Not me. I haven't. But I mean, he's gone. I guess we could talk about it now. The understanding I have is that instead of, and this is it goes back to the Brady Singer thing. It's like, well, you need to command what you have better. It's like, and and the the analogy I gave it is like, well, I don't need a fire extinguisher in my house. My house will never catch fire. It's like, no shit, Sherlock. That's that's Plan A. Plan A is don't catch right. the mother. Don't, don't catch it on fire. In the event of a rainy day, well, ironically, no, not a rainy day. In the event yeah, of the a drought, 
and you're out a very dry day. day. <laughs> nice to have a fire extinguisher before the whole thing burns down. Like yeah. that's yeah. my analogy for it. And <clears throat> the Royals, I think, were asking guys to simplify things and better their command. It's like we don't have to do or it can be both. And I think that was it. Is hey, Chris, work on your command because he wasn't the only one. I think if if Bubich was the only one, but Dylan Coleman works on this sweeper all off season. We don't see it until July, August. Yeah, that's true. All that's of a sudden, he point. breaks it out. So this this seems to be more organizational or used to be anyway so we'll see how it goes from now but yeah no that, that, that's a great point and what, what bugs me about that i know i know that you guys agree so we, we're just yelling at, at walls here but it, it's <laughs> sometimes having that that other pitch could help the other pitches be better you don't have to have perfect command because hey this could be a slider or a curveball or a changeup. Even if you know it's not a fastball, but instead they know it's a changeup or a curveball with with Bubich is the example, and and you can pretty much tell if his curveball is going to be hittable or not. Um, which that's, that's something he needs to work when when his curveball isn't good. It's not always bad in terms of getting hit, but it's just very easy to read, and he needs something else. And and, and I think that he's a guy who, if he had something else, I think you have a number four starter. He was a league average pitcher by ERA in his first two years in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. There's value yep. in that. He was better by ERA, which is not the best indicator, but he was better than Brady Singer. Yeah. When he won the job out of spring training and Singer didn't, every people were upset by it because Bubich came out and had a bad start to start the year. It wasn't the wrong decision. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't. And, and so you talk about the talent. They've got guys. Alec Marsh, I don't know what happened to him. I cannot you, – you watched him more, obviously, in the minors. But a guy who strikes out that many batters with that kind of stuff and then gets hit around like that, it makes zero sense. So, nope. yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's – they're light on talent, but they have talent. It's not like – it's not like they're, the cupboard's bare. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with TJ Sykema, with Beck Way, um, uh, you know, and uh, any of these other guys who who they acquired. Um, oh my God, the uh, Luke Weaver, obviously. No, nah, I don't care about Luke Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's the? Oh my God, the the the, the Braves guy, the the double A pitcher they traded for with Hoffman. Rodders. Hoffman, thank you. Yeah, Hoffman. I'm, we talked about this um, on Twitter. He's a guy the Guardians go after. Mm-hmm. He's athletic. He throws strikes. Like that's an interesting shift in, you know, stuff like guys like those guys. I mean, look, Aaron Savali got hit around. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if the Royals had Aaron Savali, he'd be their second best starter. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. At uh, least he's, he's better yeah. than Lynch. So yeah. Second best starter, which is not great. Um, but yeah. they could use guys like Savali. <laughs> There's there another... no shame in him being one of your five best. Is there another mm-hmm. lefty year? Looking to see come back from the rise from the ashes. Are, are you talking? Is is he? Was he with the Pirates at some point? Is that who you're? No, he's like the fourth overall pick. What's his name? Oh, you. Oh, you want um, um, Al? Yeah. You want me What's to say the whole name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Asa Lacy. I think. <laughs> no, I, I, he, to me, he's. He's the wild card, obviously. Yeah. Like, if he figures things out, huge if. 
I mean, huge yeah. if. And there's no reason I think he will. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does, but there's no reason I think he will. But, like, if that guy figures it out, okay, they're set. They're good. I mean, I, I think that they're good to go. Um, yep. Lots of questions. Lots of questions. That was one of my number one priorities going into the offseason is find the guy that can fix Asa Lacey. We'll figure it out from there. Yeah. <clears throat> Whoever it is, give him $10 yeah. million. If it's his mom, go. Go get her right now. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I, I don't, I don't personally know his mother, but I'd, I'd reach out. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So let's, we've, we've kind of ran the gamut on, on lineups. We've talked about, you know, the pitching, we've talked about the development. Let's put a bow on it, bring it all in with the last five years of this. I don't know what you want to, if it was a soft rebuild or a full on blow it up, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. It's definitely soft. Definitely super (laughs) nerf soft in my opinion as well. But what is your, I guess, in general evaluation of this rebuild, the last five full seasons, where are we? Are we in a better place than we were? Obviously, I mean, coming into the rebuild, where are we at? Well, I mean, look, it's hard to think that they're in a worse place than when they had nothing. Because (laughs) I, I mean, I, I don't, looking back on that 2018 team, Lucas Duda hit, fourth on opening day i want to say um yep they had mike moustakis back because nobody else wanted him i mean it it was a pretty bare cover we were we were talking about wait they signed moustakis so where's chesler cuthbert gonna play (laughs) um when you're wondering where look i like chesler cuthbert i'm i'm no disrespect because he made it to the big leagues i never did Yep. But when you're asking where Chesler Cuthbert's going to play, there's only up. Um, yeah, true. And, and, and so, I mean, when you look at where they are, Vinny Pasquantino, top 30 hitter in baseball right now, today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, it, it's true. I, you, you, go, you look at the metrics. He's, he is. He's top 30. Um, Bobby Witt Jr. Lots of questions, I think, but at worst he's solid <laughs> I mean, like you, yep. you actually been tweeting about this a lot lately but like he's if if, if, if bobby witt jr is your biggest question you're winning the world series um or you're at least one of the favorites i think mm-hmm. like if, if he's a question if he's your biggest question you're great um i think melendez you got salvi who you had before too but he's taken his game to another level since then um in in certain ways um <clears throat> Drew Waters, all these guys, you've got, you've got a lot of talent on the offensive side. And to go back to the pitching, I, they've got some arms. I, I go back to that athletic article. The, the line that gets me is if these guys were on the Guardians, Rays, Brewers, they would be studs. I keep thinking about that because well, Colin, you left one team, team off there. There's another team. <laughs> <laughs> Who did I miss? Guardians, <laughs> Rays, Brewers. Very large Dodgers. payroll. There it is. Dodgers, Mets. No, no okay. <laughs> I'm like, you weren't marking it off when I said Dodgers. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> there it is. Um, but like, that, to go back to that other question, like that tells me that somebody thinks they have the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that they're in an okay spot if they make the right decisions over the next three weeks, two weeks, whatever, whatever it's going to be when they hire people. So it, it, it could be a lot better. 
but I think that it's the sort of thing that I think could turn fairly quickly if they make the right hiring choices and then mm -hmm. supplement correctly too, because they've got, they've got some work to do through free agency yeah. and trade. They do. So it could be worse, I guess, is, is a good way to put it. Yeah. Back in, back in 2018, I started writing a series looking forward to 2023 and with 2023 mm. upon us, it's, I, it's not happening. Um, so in, in my mind, and, and, and it's not like I've said this for the last two years or whatever, I've got the, the articles going back five years now saying, Hey, we need to be building towards 2023. This needs to be a five-year cycle. And, and they were, they're late. They, they've missed that window. And now as a consequence, you've lost a year of Bobby Wood Jr. You've lost, well, actually they, they, they regained their year of Brady Singer. So really Bobby's the only person they just wasted the entire year on, but the clock is ticking on all of these guys. Can this team compete in 2024? And if not, how far away are they? Can they? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard not to sit on the fence. It's hard to answer that question until we know what new instruction is going to do. Cause it, it, the offense I think can compete in 24. I mean, I can say yes, the offense. Absolutely. But who who's pitching? Who's throwing the ball every fifth day? Brady Singer and who? Um, and, you know, we, we all, it's interesting because we talk about Brady Singer like, oh, he's this given. He's this guarantee. This time last year it was, is Brady Singer a reliever? Can he <laughs> even be a consistent starter in the big leagues? Which, on one hand, is actually really encouraging because we're having that conversation about Daniel Lynch right now. Why can't he do what Brady Singer did? There's no reason why he can't. There's no reason why Bubich can't come, you know, take that step. But on the other hand, it's, hey, we're only a year removed from this guy not being a guaranteed part of the future. So uh, it, it's a little scary. Um, I believe in him. I think what he's done is real. So I'm not worried about it. But it's also, it's it's a very short sample. So again, the question is, who's who's throwing the ball? And are they are they going to get three pitchers? They need two, probably two at at a minimum. At a um, minimum. Um, just just to in 2017, I wrote the 2021 roster, which by the way had Aaron Hicks in center and Jamison Tyon on the mound. So um, Tyon, he's 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 a guy. He could be could that be guy. Yep. He's, a, he's I think he's a great fit. Um, I, personally, I, if if they go out and they sign Chris Bassett and Jamison Tyon, I'm happy. Um, they're not going to, so don't count on it, but it would be great. Um, but yeah, I, so can they compete? Yes. Um, it's hard to, I can't predict that they will until we see who they hire and how they work with these guys, but it's, I think it's possible. Um, problem is again, who's too far gone is Coar too far gone. Maybe. Does it matter if he's too far gone at this point? I don't know. Um, can Lynch ever become more than a three or four starter? I don't. I I, I think he can. I don't know. It, it's been it's been a while. The the one thing that I think isn't talked about enough is twenty twenty is still wreaking some havoc. I believe mm. these guys didn't pitch. They didn't throw a competitive pitch in 2020. I mean, they, they drafted all these guys in 2018. They pitched in 2019. And then 
Singer, Bubich, Hernandez a little bit. Um, anybody? I can't think of anybody else who pitched in 2020 at the big league level. Um, they took a year off. I don't care how much you're throwing. If you're not throwing with, with purpose to get other hitters out, it's not the same thing. It doesn't matter how hard you try. So is, is that an excuse? I don't know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but also it, it happened or it didn't happen, yeah. I guess, as it were. So not nothing. I, yeah, I, I wonder a little bit, you know, cause 2021, they're all innings limits. 2022 is the year after they threw more than they had in two years. This year's a big year. Hmm. It's, it's a really, really important season because if they don't see steps from, I don't care which two, but two guys, then 2024 is out of the question without spending money. So that that, there's your answer, I think is we'll find out, I guess. And if it's not 2024, then it's. Depends on what they get back for Bobby Witt Jr., I guess. <laughs> hey, no, I, I was crucified for even suggesting such a thing last like three weeks. So, I, I mean, at, at this point, if 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 they don't do it in twenty, if if they're not good enough in twenty twenty four, and uh, that's not entirely fair. If they get twenty twenty four and they're eighty two and eighty, it could be twenty five. But if it's not twenty four. What is it? Twenty-seven. Why, why would it be twenty-five? Yeah. Right. I, I don't. That's, I don't that's, know. Okay, that's the point I was going to get at, and that's why I had on my thing is, I think twenty twenty-five is like the, like the, the Josh just said it. There is no twenty twenty-five. You're yeah. either competing actively for the division title, or they've tore it back down, and it's it's going to be hell. Now, here's the other thing I'll say. If it doesn't work by 2024, or at least to the point that you think, hey, we are going to spend big, we're going to supplement in 25, they probably have an entirely new front office by then. Oh, yeah. I don't think J.J. Piccolo and company last into 2025 if they don't win 81 games in 24, which is a very, very small hurdle. I mean, like (laughs) seven eight years after your last 500 season, you should be able to have another one. So they should be able to do it. But if they're not competing, if they're not prepared to compete in 25, then they're doing it with new GM, which Mm -hmm. lends itself. That's a teardown because a new, a new guy who comes in from another organization, it's over. They're Mm -hmm. done. Agreed. Last baseball question before we get into our final thoughts, anything, if, if, if there are five guys, three guys, You've already mentioned Bassett and um, Tyone, and so we'll remove any any like real big signings. I think both those guys would qualify. Is a pretty big signing, but are there are there other guys lurking around that you've seen on the trade market in free agency that you think can be had legitimately had this off season by the Royals without spending on a big budget that are at the top of your list? I mean, before I answer, do, are any of these guys potentially on your bingo card? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Ross Stripling, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think he can make a lot of sense though. Um, get some swing and miss. He can do if some young starters work their way up. He can switch to the bullpen. If not, mm-hmm. he can throw you some innings. 
Um, he's a guy, Eric Lauer in Milwaukee, I think makes a whole lot of sense if they're cutting some payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, Milwaukee is interesting too. I mean, cause they really, they could trade Woodruff. They mm-hmm. could trade Burns. They could really use a young catcher. Um, I mean, there's actually a pretty great fit between the Royals and Brewers if they're willing to make that move. Um, I mean, gosh, would they trade Freddie Peralta? I don't know. He's, he's locked up, but they don't, they traded Hater. Yeah. In the middle of the season. In the middle of the year, I think were they in the wild card spot? Yeah. One of the wild yes. card spots. I think yep. they were they were in. Okay. Yeah. And then they fell out. That's right. Um, when they blew all those saves the next week. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I was just say that wasn't so, a full on selling because they did get Taylor Rogers in that deal, right? Yes. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I think those two guys, the specifically Lauer and uh and Stripling make a lot of sense. I would love, love, love to see them go out and get Corey Kluber. Um, I don't think he's leaving Tampa. He doesn't want to, but he'd be a perfect fit. Um, you know, the veteran guy who can do it. I'm trying to think there, there were, I, I got to look, I had, a, I had another name and I'm, I'm blanking on it. Um, but that's the beauty of being on a computer is I can <laughs> look what I've already looked at. I, I made a, um, a 2023 free agent pitchers list on fan graphs and I saved it like, a, like a smart person, which I did not do the first time. I, I created it, <laughs> but, um, oh, Zach, Zach Eflin, I think makes yeah. an, a lot of sense if he, if he leaves Philadelphia, they might, if he's a postseason hero, he's not leaving. So we'll see. But, um, I think he makes some sense. Grinky, of course, I can see that coming back. There was one more. I'm trying to remember who it was. Pitches for Houston. Oh, the, oh, the trade. Your, your, your friend Jose Acuity makes makes a, a lot of sense. Um, the one name that I actually forgot, he's pitching for Philadelphia. Not Kyle Gibson. Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> we are all over bingo. We ain't got one yet. We are all over it. How, how close also- are we? We got three in a few different spots. Yeah, we got some possibilities. Syndergaard but, is an interesting name. I, I I would be curious to see what the Royals fans were kind of thinking about him after after all these it years. Get ugly. Yeah. There's, there's one yeah. more name that's actually really interesting, and I didn't think was interesting until I started to look into it a little bit more. You're pretty excited here. Tyler Anderson? No. <laughs> yeah. What about mm, Andrew Heaney? No. <laughs> no. What about uh, no Kyle Gibson? I'm not. I'm not doing the Kyle Gibson. Any hitters? <laughs> any hitters on your list that are interesting? Any, well, I don't think they're going to go after anybody who doesn't play third base or outfield. In my opinion, mm-hmm. feeling pretty good about that. I, I did have Teoscar Hernandez listed. Yeah. Interestingly, Ooh. that yeah. would be a really interesting. He's. I think it's like 15 million is his projected number. The Blue Jays have a lot of salary. Yeah. Um, so they're they're. I mean, Vladdy's coming up on on arbitration. I didn't think about him. Yeah, could be a fit. Um, I would love that. Try, I'm, I'm trying to channel who you think that I I was going to say. Jamer Candelario is a guy who I give me. I, one, I would be one other third baseman before we wrap this up. One other third baseman. Free agent or trade? Free agent. Free agent. All right, hang on. I'm I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm I'm 
It's not Brandon Drury. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to send somebody to a Chiefs game. All right? That's what I wanted to do. We had to finagle (laughs) it a little bit. We're going to actually get a good one here because really quick. So our final thought on the night was the – Biggest overreactions or the worst takes, I think. What did I say? What did I actually say? Yeah, worst takes, I think, is what you yeah. said. Worst takes of the NFL season. And I, I, in my head, I just know what your worst take is. Like, just yeah. of the NFL season, the worst thing people are talking about in the NFL season right now. The dumbest so, thing people are talking about. The dumbest thing. Well, I mean, it, it, it's – I mean, the dumbest thing is the roughing the passer stuff. Oh. So, that's not a bad <laughs> no. take. I should have um, known you would have gone there. I didn't. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I, I, I wonder uh, to me, like the, the worst take that I keep seeing is we see it every year in Kansas city, at least that Andy Reed is, is, is not a good coach for some reason because he, threw, <laughs> he because he called for a screen on second and nine in, in the third <laughs> quarter of a game somewhere. Um, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to mind meld with you to get to get what you think I was going to say here. It's okay. I put we we got a bingo, so I'll just tell you. I had Christian McCaffrey down, like the idea of trading a first. Oh, round pick. two first round picks probably. <laughs> That's not happening. I yeah, no. I think Ian Rappaport was on McAfee today. He's like, no, nah, I think it might just be a first at the at best, maybe first and oh, okay. change shot. So I'm right. still not That's in a on terrible that. But... Take. I think the worst take I've seen so far in the no. NFL, ESPN had the Jets in their top 10 on the power. Yeah, rating. nine. Right? Right. I don't yeah. care what their rank. I don't care what their record is. The Jets no. are awful. They're not good. Yeah, They may have beaten who, teams. who have they beaten? No, no but the Packers. The, the limp okay. Packers. Limp. Yeah, it's cool. Who, who, you know, other <laughs> Packers aren't good. No. Um, have they, who else have they beaten? There's teams right. out there. They have four wins, but I, yeah. I, I can't yeah. actually imagine they've actually beaten anybody. Yeah. <laughs> they, but don't worry, they're keeping they're notes. <laughs> they're taking. They got receipts. Did they yeah, also receipts. beat the Steelers? Did they beat the Steelers? I mean, does that count either? I mean, they're awful. They too. May I don't know. The Steelers beat the Bucks. Well, the Bucks are also frauds. What are we doing here? That's you're right. I mean, it. it here's a better question: Is any team in the NFL actually good? I, that's where mine comes from. The Chiefs. My the bad take is any team claiming that they were the best team in the league, or any fan base thinking that their team is the best league, best team in the league, because it's the Bills. It is the only Bills are the only one number one in DVOA in offense, number one in yeah. DVOA in defense. I mean, their schedule is super easy I, the rest of the year. I, I think that you can make an argument that the Eagles are good. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, undoubtedly. Well, no, you can't make it. They are good. Let's, yep. <laughs> let's their, defense, their defense is legit, and they got weapons yep. now. Yep. Yeah, their Absolutely. defense. Hey, look, Jalen Hurts and, and A.J. Brown are on my fantasy team. I always I always draft the receiver first and then find the quarterback, and I had A.J. Brown and C.D. Lamb, and I am just racking my I'm, – I'm stressing as it comes up to my pick, and I'm going Dak Prescott or Jalen Hurts. <laughs> Dak Prescott or Jalen – and I picked Jalen Hurts, well and my done. buddy texted me, and he's like, that was a mistake. And I have not let him put that down. <laughs> Don't. That was that was a winner right there. It was it was my best fantasy. But I'm if, if we're gonna talk fantasy football, I'm two and four in my league with the fourth most points. Yeah, I hate it. I have played the number one scoring team 
in all four of my losses. The only time I haven't played the number one scoring team in a week was when I won and was the number one scoring team. Yep. That's fantasy. I hate fantasy football. I hate it so much. David, any other big news coming out of your world right now? No, well, my my personal world, yeah. Yes, got a little baby coming world. soon. Very nice. Yeah, two bingo. Uh, okay, little little daughter due um, six weeks from today. That's awesome. That's rad. Congrats. Thank you. Put together a stroller this weekend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I decided I did not have the patience to figure out how to put the car seat into it yet. So. Mm. Got a little time there. We have a, a big appointment. I think I think after tomorrow's appointment is when I put the car seat base in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go time, it time. Clear three hours of your schedule for that. You'll need it. <laughs> um, I helped my parents when my nieces were born. <clears throat> and I think three hours is light. <laughs> it's it's going to be a... Because there's two. So it's going to be like a 12-hour mm-hmm. day. Um, mm-hmm. No, we, we have uh, the, the nursery sets coming on the way here we go congratulations awesome and good luck by the way so we are i'm adding a new rider to inside the crown yeah oh really oh should be never mind (laughs) my bad sorry right over my head (laughs) david thanks for your time tonight good luck to you uh with the kid i we are we are pressed for time and i'm getting told it's time to time to go to the bullpen wrap it up um, whatever David, appreciate you. We will be back again with another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast in November. We'll be joined by Les Norman to preview the pre or the off season. So stick around, wait around for November. Les Norman will join us. We'll talk to you all then. Thanks for listening.